Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... He's telling churches that it shouldn't be routine. It shouldn't be a laundry list. It shouldn't always be just, you know, help this person and help that person, which is nothing wrong with that stuff. But he's saying here, it needs to be observant. It needs to be serious. It needs to understand what's going on in the days and times in which we live in as we are praying for the Lord to intervene in these days and these times. Pastor Jim today is talking about prayer and what prayer really means. It is common practice to only come to God with our long list of things that are wrong, what people have done wrong to us, what is troubling us, and what God can do to make it all better. The Apostle Peter has a different view for us to consider today, though. Prayer should be bringing our needs to God, for sure, but it also should be bringing the needs of others before Him as well and asking for His guidance and power in everyday life. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, with part one of his message entitled, Making the Most of Each Day. Well, how many of you are concerned about wasting time? How many of you live with either a low level or a high level of guilt about wasting time? You know, I've met some people, maybe you have too, they say they don't even think of time. Do you have anybody you work with like that? Absolutely horrible, absolutely horrible. The customer's like, if I don't have it here tomorrow morning, I don't want it. And they're like, ah, oh, we'll ship it tomorrow. You're like, no, no, you can't do that, man. No sense of urgency, and I don't know for sure, but I wonder if people who have no sense of time, who don't think about time, actually waste a lot of time. Now, I was thinking about time probably more than I normally do this week, and between sleep and the time that we invest in work or home or school or taking care of our family, whatever our normal duties are during the week, most of us spend just in those two things about 18 to 22 hours a day. So there's not much left, is there? There's not much left at all. And without a strategy, without really thinking about it, it's easy for time to pass by. It's easy to feel like absolutely nothing's getting accomplished in our lives, especially if you're trying to, I think, if you're trying to live the Christian life. Because if you're just trying to add the Christian life on top of your 18 to 22 hour a day, you're just going to get eaten alive, unless you've figured out a way to manufacture 26 hours in a day. And if you have, see me after. We'll make billions together, <laughs> okay? So last week, we ended in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, and he was talking about something that's not popular at all. He was talking about final judgment. And for anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ, we tend to refer to those people around here as committed followers of Jesus Christ, not people who just check off Christian on a census poll or something like that. For someone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ, there's no worries about the final judgment. Why? Because judgment has already taken place. Your judgment was placed upon Jesus, and Jesus, in effect, on the cross was declared guilty on your behalf, and he has given you his righteousness, so therefore heaven will declare you as being innocent. Well, so let's say you've done that. Does it matter how we live? 
Does it matter how we spend our time? Now, Peter, the apostle Peter, is writing to churches in the area of Turkey, part of the Roman Empire, about 30 years after Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. And they're kind of feeling the pinch from the Roman Empire. You know, they're like, you know, we're just, just don't take your, your stuff outside your gathering. Stop telling everybody that Jesus is king because we know that Caesar is king. And as we saw when we studied the book of Philippians, that Peter, just like the apostle Paul, is telling the people in the local churches that they need to be united under Jesus, that they need to love one another, which is not always easy when we're busy, is it? And we, in our crazy busy culture, remember about a year or two ago, we studied that book, if you're in a community group, we studied crazy busy. And some people from the last service said, you know, I I don't think I've made one change since we studied that book. So maybe you better take it off the shelf or uh, contact us if you need to find what that book is about. But how do we do this in this crazy, busy culture in which we live in, live the Christian life? And I think the only answer is this, is that Christianity must become a lifestyle. It must be something that we engage in, in everywhere we are, in everywhere we go, And it also has a lot to do with how we choose to spend our time and our own priorities. So the title of our message today is Making the Most of Each Day. Making the Most of Each Day, but with a parenthesis that would say, a lesson in church life. A lesson in church life. Now, my hope and my prayer is that your default mechanism would be to the grace of God and not to the guilt of condemnation in this message. It was interesting after the last service, I saw some people come up and they're like, oh, the Lord really beat me up. And other people like, you know, I heard the call from God to take the next step. And somebody could actually identify what that was for them. So instead of my hope and prayer, instead of guilt, is that you would hear the Lord's voice instead of just dismissing it, saying, well, I'm too busy. I can't deal with any of this. That you would really listen to what the Lord might say to you or pride in thinking, well, I'm doing all this anyway. Just wasted, you know, all this time of my day. I could have been out doing something else. But each one of us then would take a next step closer to what Jesus's plan is for our lives. Well, in verse seven, if you're not awake yet, Peter just arrests or grabs our attention right out of the box. Look at the beginning of verse seven. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Some versions say the end of all things is near. So let's stop and think for a second. What does he mean? How am I supposed to take that when he says the end of all things is near? Well, let me tell you a quick little story. Back in the early 1990s, I guess we were married probably about a year and a half at that time, I took my new, very lovely bride who was pregnant with our first child to what's called a radio rally where a preacher that I used to listen to on the radio was speaking, and so we went there, and she was, you know, ladies, you get emotional when you're pregnant? I've never been pregnant, but I've lived through, I've lived through 27 months of it, <laughs> and, so I, and so I do know that can be an emotional time. And wouldn't you know that this radio rally speaker was speaking, uh, I guess only to my pregnant wife, that he was speaking about the end of the world. <laughs> And so as I looked at my wife, I could see it really was not going well. And then we got outside in the car and she just broke into tears because I just want to see my baby's face. I don't want the world to end. <laughs> Say, new husbands, note to file. Do not take your, your pregnant with your first baby to an end of the world kind of a thing. It was not a good day. 
Now, many skeptics will say, and if you are a skeptic, glad you're here, really glad you're here. I entered the church like this for the first time in my late 20s when I was indeed a skeptic. I followed a girl to church, and then I eventually became a follower of Jesus, and then, this is gonna sound really strange, I spent the first two years of my Christian walk trying to research how what happened to me couldn't possibly have happened to me, and that really solidified my faith as I really investigated the truth about Jesus Christ. But many skeptics would say, hey, listen, man, it says in the Bible that this is the end of all things, and the times are ending, and it's been two thousand years and it's just not going to happen it's just not going to happen and as we have seen though in our studies in first peter the delay in the end of all things is caused by the patience of god god is what the bible calls long suffering with people god suffers with us for a long time waits patiently for us for a long time so people would not die in their sins, okay, meaning that they would die apart from God, but they would die with the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, what's the big deal? We're we're all sinners. But every organization has, if you say, ground rules for being part of it, right? So if you go to grad school, what's the assumption that you also went to undergrad school? You know, like I often say to you, I don't know how many of you know, that I am a Harvard lawyer, okay? Now, let's just forget the fact that Harvard has this stupid rule that you have to actually go to their school to be a Harvard lawyer, okay? But I can just go around calling myself one. No, that's not true. They have standards of what it means to be a Harvard lawyer, just like heaven has standards. What's the standard of heaven? That you put your trust in Jesus, that all your sin is removed, so taken again, put on Jesus on the cross, and his holiness or his righteousness is then put on to you. And so a lot of people would say, you know, it's not happening, and it's been 2,000 years, but the Lord is very patient that people would come to him. So when the Bible talks about the end of all things, it's not so much talking about timing. When they ask Jesus, when were the end of all things coming? He says, no one knows the day or the time. Now, if you're new to the Bible, let me give you a test. What do you think he was saying? No one knows the day or the time. Hmm, what could that mean? But I bought a book from a guy, and he said the end of the world was coming in 1988. Hmm, no one knows, okay, the day or the time, okay? No one knows the hour, right? So when the Bible talks about the end of all things, don't so much think about the timing of all things. Think about the Lord's master plan for the world. In other words, everything is now in place for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. Everything is now in place for the end of the world. In other words, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ has brought us into what the Bible calls the last days, the time in between his first coming and his second coming, or the last stage or the final phase of God's plan for the world. Now, if you are a person who, particularly a person who surfs the internet a lot, our world has a lot of materialists. And what are materialists? Materialists are basically people who think that I can only believe what I can see. 
I only believe what can be measured, okay? And they might say something like, well, religion, I mean, it's the opiate of the masses, right? It's, you just wanna feel better about yourself and have some hope and think that everything's gonna be okay, so believe in your God, but I can't see him, and it doesn't really matter. And Christians have all these crazy answers for the stuff that a lot of people that really don't necessarily buy into. Uh, few people, right, even spiritual people, are willing to believe that the world as we know it, will end. And that's probably why when the Bible talks about the end of the world, there's an incredible sense of urgency about it. So when Peter talks about this, it's to really to shake us up, to shake us out of our complacency, to call us to be ready because the Lord may bring about the end at any time. So the correct way of thinking about the end times, it will not sell a lot of books. You can write one, and you probably make a lot of money, right? But if you want to talk about date setting, people seem to be into that stuff. But simply talking about it this way won't sell a lot of books, but it will prepare you to meet the Lord Jesus Christ either through his return or through death with a sense of joy, not a sense of regret. And so he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Look at the next word, therefore. Therefore, remember when we see that word in the Bible, what's it there for? We ask, what's it there for? And we see that word and it says, he's saying, since we know this, since the end of all things is near, even just life is getting short, right? Have any of you known, especially the older you get, the faster it goes, right? How are we supposed to live now? Again, I want to say it again because I know a lot of people get sucked into this stuff, especially when you're new. The point of the New Testament's view of what we call eschatology, there's a fancy theological word for you, is the study of the end times or the study of the end. The focus is not date setting. The focus is not withdrawal, like we're supposed to just all go live in our basement you know, with bottled water and guns and that's just wait, you know, wait for Jesus to show up. Rather, it is a stimulus to action. It is meant to be a stimulus to make our lives count. And what is amazing, amazing, is how basic Peter's teaching will be. That, that the stimulation to action is something that every single person in this room here can do. Now, don't, again, don't default to guilt, because once you start to feel guilty, you eliminate yourself but rather just say, you know what, God would never call me to do something that it wasn't possible for me to do, that he wouldn't help me and enable me to do it. And so it's very basic as Jesus really, because when we say that the word of God is when God speaks, it's the word. So as Jesus moves into our church and the New Testament totally assumes that if you would say you're a follower of Jesus, that you go to a church totally assume that you belong to a church, totally assume that you're involved with the people of your church, and he's gonna tell us how to make the most of this life as we are at the end of all things. So, note takers, four things today. Number one, as the end approaches, pray more effectively. As the end approaches, pray more effectively. Let's continue with verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, or because of that, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Plural. Serious and watchful in your prayers. Some versions put it this way. Be alert and sober-minded. Now, what is prayer? 
Well, for most Americans, prayer, well, people will say it's talking to God. I agree. For most Americans, prayer is something like this. Well, God, here's what's going wrong in case you didn't notice. Obviously, you forgot because you're allowing me to have problems. And so you're just lining up your problems for God and just saying, you know, I'd like you to fix it this way and that way and this way and that way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that can't be entirely the focus of prayer. We said this before. You know that friend who only calls you when they want something? You don't want to be that friend to God, do you? You don't want to be that at all. You don't want to call vending machine God just one when you want exactly what you want and then you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to walk away. Essentially, prayer is humble dependence on the Lord. And prayer is one of the most important aspects of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But notice what Peter says here. How we pray is important. It's not just that we pray, it's how we pray is important. And here he's telling churches, remember this is a letter to churches, would have been read in a church setting like this, he's telling churches that it shouldn't be routine, it shouldn't be a laundry list, it shouldn't always be just, you know, help this person and help that person, which is nothing wrong with that stuff, but he's saying here, it needs to be observant, it needs to be serious, It needs to understand what's going on in the days and times in which we live in as we are praying for the Lord to intervene in these days and these times. Yet, church prayer meetings are so incredibly poorly attended. Why? Well, there's lots and lots of reasons. You know, the default Christian answer is what? I'm busy. I'm busy. And of course, we're all guilty of letting that end the conversation. Our friend's like, shuts the door in our face. Come on, be obnoxious. Pry that door open and go, why are you too busy for such things, right? But there's lots of reasons. But I can tell you one reason I think that our prayer meetings are not as well attended as they should be is we don't pray like this. We don't pray like this. I think what Peter is talking about is taking the hell prayer meetings, I think what he's saying is, you know, okay, we have our list, that's okay, we have things that we want, that's okay, but are we praying that the people of God take the hill, that the kingdom of God, right, is ruling on earth? Are we praying for the things of God, praying for the glory of God, praying for how God can intervene in our world? Now, some of you know this about me, the rest of you are gonna learn in a second. I am kind of a sociologist at heart, I just love the study of people. And I'm one of those weird people, like I, I used to go on youth trips to uh, adventure parks and you know, go to Dorney Park or go to Six Flags or something like that. And I don't go on the rides at all, but I would just sit and people watch. I mean, I just love to people watch and I love to see different things about people. I'm kind of hoping in heaven, like when I get there, if there's any positions open, I'm gonna be like, Is there, can I be a pollster in heaven? I just wanna go around. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I just, I'm intrigued by people and what they think. And so I have for many years, and I was a Christian many years before I went into the ministry, I have for many years been a poll taker on certain things. And one of them is particularly with people who work at churches and particularly who are church staff and church leaders, and I have asked them, why don't you go to prayer meetings? Well, a lot of people say, well, they're too busy, they got a lot to do before the service, there's not a lot of help, and they're gonna do stuff like that. I get that, but one of the big reasons is actually is because they come away discouraged because people don't pray like this. We don't pray like this. We're constantly 
praying for, you know, my mother, sisters, brothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, dog. No offense to you dog lovers, okay? Because you all know how I feel about my cat. But, but, but we're just not praying for, we're not taking the hill. And so it's not energizing for people. And it just seems to be just another thing to do. You'd be surprised. Another thing that staff people will have told me in the past is that they don't like to go to prayer meetings because they went to what? To pray and they left with a to-do list. People are like, oh, by the way, I got you here. Do-do, 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 do-do. And you're like, oh, you know, get me out of this place. Pray for the rapture or something like that, right? And people just go, I just wanna pray. I just wanna pray for the glory of God on the earth. And this is so important because prayer readies us. Remember last week we talked about being ready for suffering? Prayer so readies us for what is coming down the pike. Luke chapter 12 Jesus teaching about what a faithful servant is. And he said that a faithful servant is someone who is ready to serve and busy with the work of the Lord. And remember what we said happened to Peter. Many of you know the story is he failed miserably in the ministry when Jesus was on earth. And the night before the cross, I mean, he just totally fell apart at the seams. He's cutting people's ears off. He's denying that he knows Jesus. He's running away. He's just a complete basket case. And I think Peter would have said to us, he would have said, it was my lack of prayer. Like I wasn't ready for what was coming down the pike. Even though Jesus had told me so many times what was gonna happen, I wasn't fortified by prayer. And you say, well, can you give us an example? Peter would say, that's an easy one. He goes, we're in the garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before the cross. Jesus says to us, you sit here, you watch and pray. He's gotta go do business with the father. And what did we do? We fell asleep. We fell asleep. I don't know about you, if I were polling Peter or asking Peter, I would have said to him next, what was it like to watch him pray? What was it like to watch Jesus? And I think Peter would have said something like this. It was the most unusual thing you've ever seen in your life. It was this odd combination of this complete delight of being in the presence of his father. He would just be so overjoyed of communing with his father and talking with his father and listening to his father. And then he would move into this agony, this great struggle of what was going on. And say He would move in and out of it and in and out of it. And so prayer for him was love, but it was strengthening, it was joy, and it was agonizing. And Peter then would look for us. That's how he was ready for anything. That's how no matter what, anybody came after him, he was ready for them. That's how he could go from welcoming children to turning people and telling them they were religious phonies to turning to healing people who couldn't walk to turning around and saying, you're gonna try and kill me, go for it, man. I'm, you don't, I lay down my life, you don't take my life. He was ready for anything. That's how that night when I fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus was ready for the cross because he was praying, he was praying, he was praying and he prayed more effectively. Number two, as the end approaches, love more aggressively. 
Love more aggressively, Peter writes verse eight, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. There's that term again, right? One another, talking about people in the church. The idea is have a continuous deep love for one another. And then he writes this, this is in several places in the Bible, for love will cover a multitude of sins. When the love of Jesus Christ invades a heart, when the love of Jesus Christ invades a church, most, not all, and I have to put that asterisk, some sins, okay, need to be corrected. Some sins need to be disciplined. Some sins need to call the police. However, there are very few like that, friends, very few. When the love of Jesus Christ invades a heart, when it invades a church, most sins will be overlooked and forgotten. Thank you for listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire here at Changed by Love is simply to bring you the life-changing message of Jesus Christ by teaching you the Bible in a simple, easy-to-follow way. With that being said, we try to put our messages into as many people's hands as possible for a very low cost and often free of charge to anyone who contacts us. Did you know that all of our messages can be found for free on our website, changedbyloveradio.com? That's changedbyloveradio.com. Please check out our website and hit the Contact Us button to tell us something about yourself or to request a CD copy of a message. Here at Changed by Love, we depend on the grace of God as well as the generosity and prayers of our loyal listeners. So thank you to all of you who are prayerfully and financially supporting our program. We would love to hear from you and pray you drop us a card or a letter to Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey. And don't forget to contact our friends at this radio station and tell them you are being blessed by Changed by Love. It would be a great encouragement to them. Thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here on this station, for more practical Bible teaching from the book of 1 Peter with Pastor Jim Kevney, passionately proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to hear.